Amen, amen. Okay, I was going to preach a message out of John chapter 5 this morning. John chapter 5 is, is one of the richest chapters about who the Father is and how the Son relates to the Father. And it's a, it's a powerful chapter. I will just tell you, read John 5 this week because it's really one that we don't want to miss when we're thinking about who God is as Father. But in my, in my prayer time, as I was getting ready for this morning, I really I felt like I was supposed to take a different direction. And uh, I want to talk about the spirit of adoption. I want to talk about what it means to be adopted into the family of God, ad- adopted by the Father. And, and what I want to do is this. I want to take the first half of the message, and I want to identify what we feel like when we don't realize that we have a Father who loves us and that we've been adopted into His family. And um, different preachers and, and teachers have called it like an orphan mentality. And I want to talk about that, and I, I don't want to talk about that to put anybody in a, in a funk, but I want to uh, talk about that to begin with, to identify where God wants to meet us with His love and His affection. Here's the deal. Sometimes, you know, a truth is just right there before us, and we don't know why we can't access it. We don't know what the boundary is that, that's in the way, and we don't know why. We just, we hear it, it sounds right, we will agree with it, but our heart doesn't connect to it, and we just don't know why. And I found this to be true as it relates to um, the, the message of the Father heart of God and, and, and really the message of Jesus as our bridegroom. Any, any intimacy message, I found that people can have sort of barriers there that, that disable them from being able to sort of access the truths in the Word for, their, for themselves, and, 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 and it, it stops them from having an impact on their own soul. And so they might know it with their head, but they're not connecting to it with their heart for some reason. Well, one of those barriers, not, this isn't the only one, but one of those barriers that people run into is an orphan mentality. And, and you're going to find probably as I'm breaking this down for you this morning, you're going to find yourself in here somewhere. Here's why. Every one of us uh, had a life before Jesus. Every one of us experienced the poverty uh, of, of spiritual destitution and what it means to be without God. Every one of us are, you know, have been saved from our own sin. Um, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And so we've all tasted of destruction. And, and it's by his grace that he's pulled us up out of death. But it's those, that season that we lived in death, it roots things in our soul that we don't realize so often. And it takes some time in, tr- in, in, in experiencing the truth of God to get those things ro- rooted out of us. It's called getting your mind renewed by the word. And so... Uh, what I want to encourage you this morning is this, as I'm, as I'm teaching, dial into this and, and you're going to, there's going to be a couple, you know, thoughts that are going to cross your mind. You're going to, at some point you're going to think, whoa, so-and-so really needs to hear this. Here's the thing. Let's not worry about so-and-so right now. Let's just worry about you. Because our, our, propensity is to always think, oh man, such and such, they really, and we take ourselves out of the deal, and, and the thing I would just really encourage you, even if you've heard this message 25 times, just be present right now and allow the Lord to speak to your own heart. That's, the, that's a, a surefire way that the Holy Spirit can, can minister to you. If you'll just go ahead and say, you know what, I probably need some of this. So just step on in. Don't, you know, don't just go, well, I'm not an orphan. I know that, and just step out of it. No, just step on in and allow the Lord to speak to you. And, 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 and don't waste this morning thinking about someone else who needs to know this. You know, just, let's just uh, dial in, be present, and allow the Lord to speak to us personally about it. All right, the ushers are now asking me if there's anyone that needs an outline. Anybody? 
else need an outline? Just put your hand up, they'll get to you real quick. Okay, good. So, don't think it applies just to someone else. This is something that applies to all of us at some level. Um, even if you've heard this message many times, this, you, it's like an onion. You get it peeled off, and it just layers and layers and layers. So I would just encourage you to dial in with your own heart and allow the Lord, the Holy Spirit, to, to deal with you even again this morning. If this might be the first time you've ever heard this, then just be front and center present and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Okay, here we go. Roman numeral one. I'm going to work through these first uh, several Roman numerals kind of quickly. Just going to read these thoughts and comment a little bit, and then we're going to get into teaching on the spirit of adoption. Okay, Roman numeral one, our perceptions of God as Father. Now, I've said this multiple times the last few weeks. We've, we have as many different perceptions of what a father is as we have people in the room. And the reason that is is because oftentimes we form our perceptions of God from fathers and father figures that we've had, and we've all got different experiences or no experiences. And, and so that influences often the, the way that we think about God. Now, I've talked in the last few weeks about how if we've had a negative experience with fathers or father figures, that that doesn't disqualify us from knowing God and knowing his heart. Uh, a negative can be developed into a beautiful color picture just like we do with film. You know, you get the, the negative of the film, and that's where you get the color picture from. But the, the negative is the inverse of the actual picture, and that's what you have to come to realize. If you've had a negative experience with a father or a father figure, you're not disqualified. You haven't missed out. You've just got to recognize that whatever your experiences were, the opposite is true of God. So if you've had a negative, it can be developed into a, a really rich picture of who God is, and you can come to, to know him. Now, many people, they live their lives, they feel a little bit aloof from, they, they feel a little bit aloof from God as Father. A lot of times they love Jesus, the, our Savior, our Bridegroom, we sort of love Jesus, and then they sort of just sort of distance themselves from God the Father for some reason. I've met many, many Christians like this. And they, they size God up as this. God's the mean God. The Father's the mean guy in the Old Testament. And Jesus is the, the really like loving guy in the New Testament. You know, that's not true. There's no difference between who God is in the Old Testament and who he is in the New Testament. He's the exact same God. He didn't change. He never changes. Okay? So where, where people have sort of pit, they've pitted the old against the new, and God's mad, and then he's happy, that, that's just not real. He's always the same. He never changes. And what we actually see, what's truer is this, or what's actually true is this, that when we see Jesus Christ, and we see the tenderness and the gentleness of who he is, he is the express image of the Father. You see? And so, it's not like God just changed or something like that. No, it's, this is who God has been all along. He's Jesus. Jesus is the glory of the Father, the express image of the, of the glory of the Father. And so, people can feel really connected to Jesus, really aloof from the Father, but mostly that's because they've had poor and challenging relationships with earthly fathers and father figures. So D there in, in, your, in your notes, <clears throat> uh, what happens is this, when we project those negative experiences upon God, we don't allow the negative to turn into a positive for us. Our image of God as father, it becomes perverted and distorted, and we have real difficulty accepting his unconditional love. And so that's that boundary, that barrier. Like you could know it with your head, but for some reason it's just not connecting in your heart. And, and it's, it's troubling for folks at times because they see other people that they're just, they feel alive in the love of God and, and then they feel left out and it just makes it worse because they already feel like, you know, they're left out and, and they already feel like they can't connect and there's someone else who got in and then and they're still left out and see, God's leaving me out again. And that's just not the truth. A lot of times it's barriers in our own soul 
that need to be understood, they need to be overcome, and the Father wants to, to, you know, bring you to revelation. He wants to knock those barriers down, but you've got to be willing. And I'll just tell you, I've met a lot of believers. Their walls are secure. They have fortified their hearts. They know their boundaries. They know how far they'll let other people in. And they'll even, they even know how far they'll let God in. And they'll tell me sometimes, well, I know I got this issue. And I know I got to talk to God about it. But I'm not going to talk to him about it right now. When are you going to talk to him about it? I don't know. He can talk to me about anything he wants, but not that. And so they, they box their heart in, and they push God out. Now, they want, in their heart of hearts, they want real intimacy. But there's this unwillingness to deal with reality, to deal with challenge, to deal with the, the difficulties they've gone through, the pain of their own hearts. And so because they're unwilling to sort of just go there, and people are unwilling to go there for different reasons. Sometimes you just don't want to look like a wreck. Sometimes you, don't want to just, you just don't want to deal with the pain of dealing with what you've been through. I, I, that's understandable. Sometimes it's just you just want to look like you got it all together. Some of the reasons are better. Some of the reasons are worse. But I'll just say this. There's really no good reason to keep God out, is there? There's no good reason to come to a point in your life, and your growth, and just say, you know what? That's an area I don't want to talk to God about. You can't, you can't give me a good enough reason. And the thing is, the Father wants to, he wants to be so intimate with, with you. He wants to be so connected with every area of your heart. He wants to untie whatever knots are there and, and heal whatever brokenness is there. He's eager and willing to meet you, but you've got to be willing to meet him. And so we have these distorted views sometimes. We think he's aloof or we think he doesn't want us. And we've got this twisting of who he is and and so because of that we have this barrier you know this difficulty accepting his unconditional love and and so here's what happens we don't end up embracing the love of God we don't we might agree to it but we don't embrace it we don't experience it in our heart and we end up living like a spiritual orphan and I think there's a lot of believers that live like spiritual orphans they live as if they don't have a father who likes them who's kind, who cares for them, who's looking after, who is going to give them an amazing inheritance. They, they live like they're in isolation and they're alone and they just got to, you know, if it's, if it's going to be, it's up to me because I'm all by myself. Everybody just started singing that song in their head. All by my... Anyway, that, that's just no way to live, guys. He loves you too much to live like that. He loves you too much to live isolated in your own heart. He he loves you too much to live outside of, I mean, of just the richness of what it means to be in relationship with God, to be part of the family of God. The promises are too good for you to live without them. So I want to encourage you again, just allow the Lord to speak to your heart. As I go through these issues about the orphan mentality and, and identifying it, just allow the Lord to just put his finger on your heart and identify some of it. And, and you know what? As you allow him to identify it, just, let's just decide right now that you're going to engage with the Holy Spirit and let him to begin to, to heal that area. All right, all right, three people are going to do That's good. Now, I, I believe I believe you will. I, I believe that you don't want to live like that if that's, what, if that's what you're feeling in your heart. You don't want to live isolated and like an orphan and alone. I believe you want the love of God. And so let's go for it together. Right, let, me just, let me just lay this out for you. Roman numeral two. How do we identify the orphan mentality? So I believe this. I believe virtually on this side, every believer has a degree of this working in them. Now some, it's, a lot more, some it's a lot less. <clears throat> and, and, and the more aware of the richness of God's love experience that we know, the, the less this is going to impact people. But I, I know people that have 
really gotten tons of healing and they're alive and love and, and then, you know, uh, it'll be a bad week and they just, they just go back to some of these old tendencies. And so it's just in degrees in our, in our heart. But here's how it looks like. A person with, a, with an orphan mentality, they find a, a great difficulty experiencing receiving acceptance and love and encouragement from God and from others. You know, it's, it's one of those deals where it's not just God that you feel the boundary with. You, found, you, you can feel the boundary with other people. And, uh, and, and what happens is this, acceptance and affirmation, encouragement, it sort of just bounces off of you. It doesn't feel real. Because you know you, and they don't know you, and you know how wrecked you are really, and so they really couldn't be encouraging you. You know, that's kind of the way you end up doing it in your mind. And so what ends up happening is this, that encouragement tends to be drowned out in fear of failure. You, you know, you hear the person go, hey, that was awesome, or you know, I just see such good things in you, or there's a, you know, you're a blessing in this way and that, and you just kind of write it off because you know that really who you are in the core is someone who's just going to mess it up anyway. You're just, you're just not that good, and, and, you, and you just, you're really the sum of your mistakes rather than the sum of God's grace. And so someone who's living in that, they have a difficult time when they feel like they failed someone or when they believe others have failed them. See, what happens is this, that's not wounded in this area, they, they can fail they can get up and try again, you know, and, and the failure may, may be a, a bummer for a minute or something, but they'll keep going. They'll, they'll keep trying. You know, they'll keep sticking it in there. But someone who's dealing with an orphan mentality, when they fail, it's like the end of the world. It just, it just I failed again, and I'm bad, and I just, I always do things wrong. And, and, and they, just, they just mistreat themselves. In, 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 a, in a major way when they fail. They just have a real difficult time believing that they'll ever produce anything good, anything positive. And, and it's, it's also the same when others fail them. And, and a person with an orphan mentality, they're, they're stuck because when someone doesn't keep their word, when, when someone doesn't perform the way they expected, man, it's like, you just broke my trust forever. And people that have an orphan mentality, they will cut people off in relationship like that. It's over. They, they, they speak in ultimatums. If you don't do this, you don't get this right. It's over between you and I. And you're like, well, gosh, like a month ago, I thought we kind of loved each other. It's over? Yeah, you made that mistake. It's over. And it's just, there's this harsh um, way that they deal with uh, failure. Their own and others. And the reason why, what motivates that is they've been hurt. They've been done wrong. You know, they've had people break their trust. And so because people have broken their trust in the past, they're just, we just I'm just not doing that again. I'm just not doing, I just can't do that. I won't. And so they just shut it out, shut it off. So there's this challenge when Difficulty comes in relationship. D, people with an orphan mentality, they live focused on the immediate and how they can gratify their desires as soon as possible. They don't believe in a promised inheritance. They don't believe in a good father who's looking out for them, who's going to give them. And so because they don't believe they've got an inheritance, they have a mentality of, I've got to get all I can get right now. I need to look out for me and get mine. Does that sound like America? <laughs> I mean, that's like, this is like one of the pervading mentalities in corporate America. Dog eat dog all the way to the top. And when you get to the top, you keep everybody else down. Go sometime to one of our orphanages overseas that we connect to, in Haiti or India, or go to our, our guys in Kenya or Uganda, and watch how 50 orphans who do not have parents, how they interact with one another. And it, it's like this, it's like this little 
microcosm of that dog-eat-dog thing. If there's, if there's a gift, everybody better get one, or the, you know, it's just going to be a free-for-all of a fight you know, to who can get it for themselves. Are we, am I communicating yet? So they don't believe they have an inheritance, so they live for right now. They live for the present, get all I can. And here's what you see. Somebody with an orphan mentality, a lot of times they just blow their life up on drugs and alcohol and, and sexual perversion. They, they, they don't restrain themselves in any way. So they don't realize they got a dad that loves them. So they're just all out for their own personal desires and pleasure. E, they tend to find comfort and identity in counterfeit affections. See, someone who's affirmed in the Father's love, they find their identity in the Father. I know whose I am, and I know where I came from. That's what Jesus said. I know whose I am, and I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going. That's a son. I know where I came from, who I belong to, and where I'm going. A son, that's confidence, like we talked about last week. That's confidence in love. That's confidence in the Father. But someone who doesn't have that confidence in the Father that steps into, you know, like living like a spiritual orphan, they have their identity in other things, possessions. They find security in money or things. Their stuff tells them who they are. In America, one of our biggest challenges is that we get our identity from the amount of money that we have. I mean, our whole culture is basically predicated on that. The more zeros you have after that first number, somehow we think the more valuable you are, the more important you are, the more whatever you are, successful. That's crazy. If success is based on the number in your bank account, that means the majority of people in human history are fully unsuccessful. And if identity is based on your finances, we've completely swallowed the spirit of the age. Because your identity isn't based on what you do, what you own, what you achieve or don't achieve. Your identity is based on whose you are. My last name is Humphrey because my dad's name is Humphrey. I came from Humphrey. In Christ, I'm a Christian. I came from Christ. That's who I am at the core. Our identity is not to be in our possessions or they, they find comfort or their identity in, in their passions, their addictions, their compulsions. Sometimes it's to alcohol, drugs. It can be food. It could be immoral issues. It could just be busyness. It could be, you know, people that nowadays, they just get addicted to anything. I mean, it could, it could be a, a, a coin collection. It, it could be anything. Model cars or jumping out of airplanes, adrenaline junkies. You know, I don't know. Entertainment, media, addicted to your social status on Facebook. I don't know. But we're so, we so easily attach what, what makes us feel alive to other things than our identity as loved of God and, and, it, and it really plays out in just, I mean, such a, an, an amplified way when you see drugs and alcohol and, and people just in addictions and, and, and sexual perversions. That's all about having an orphan mentality, y'all. Not knowing your father. Not knowing he loves you, he cares for you. He's looking out for you. <clears throat> or even hyper-religious activities. It's easy to spot somebody in church with an orphan mentality that's trying to use spirituality as their badge. Don't look around right now. It's easy. 
They want to always tell you about what God did and said to them, what he did through them. They're not just giving testimony to praise God. They're trying to gain your affirmation by telling you all their stuff. Sometimes that's okay to, you know, it's okay to testify and, and, and tell the thing, but there's people that just get busy in the church and always, and it just, it just gets this hyper place of trying to prove that they are close to God. And, and you know what? Here's the thing. I don't have to, the people that I'm close to, I don't have to go advertise it. You'll know it. Do you know what I'm saying? I, I don't have to go, you know, na- name drop. I, I wouldn't. <laughs> I don't have to go name dropping to get you to think I'm important so you know who I, who I know. You know, and people do that kind of with God-like. In fact, that's kind of the, the opposite of intimacy because if you're going to name drop, you probably don't know that person very well because if you did, you'd honor them and you wouldn't do that name drop thing. You know what I'm talking about? People kind of do that with God. They kind of name drop on God and, and get busy about religion and, and it's, just, it's just counterfeit. It doesn't come out of a heart of love. Just real abandonment from that place of love. They find their identity in counterfeit affections like like position. They, they find acceptance by striving to be seen by men. Men are, like I've said in the last few weeks, toiling for validity. Performance mentality to, to gain position so that they feel affirmed. Or in power, they want to be in control. Control of their own life and control of their own destiny. All right, flip on over. Should I teach the rest of this or just give the altar call now? Hang with me now. I know what happens. We get into overload sometimes in a message like this, and you just kind of like, you shut off at about the 20-minute mark. Hang in here with me. We're going to get an answer for this. So there's a progression that I've laid out here, A through G. This is kind of what it can look like if you're still having a hard time identifying it. Someone with an orphan mentality, this is kind of where it goes in a person. It starts with a fear of submission. In, in general, they're, they're afraid of authority, male authority in particular. Definitely have a fear of submission to authority. And, and at times, it can just be aloofness. Just need to stay away. Don't trust male authority. That can result in a closed spirit. What happens is your heart becomes closed towards leadership and, and even individuals God's placed in our lives to help us. And what happens is this, when we close off to those that God's put in our life to help us, to help us grow and disciple us and lead us, we close off to them, we close off to God. We don't realize that, but that's what happens. Whenever I meet a Lone Ranger person and they tell me, well, I don't, listen to anybody, I just, just me and Jesus. I go, well, Jesus tells you to be submitted to authorities. And submission to authority has been overplayed. I, I know it's been overworked and it's been abused in the church. I, I'm not a big smash people down. You got to do everything I say. I'm a spiritual authority. I believe spiritual authority is about, I got to serve first, give first, love first, listen first, care first, go lowest, you know, and then you can follow as I follow Jesus, if I'm following Jesus, you follow me. Spiritual authority is not about, I said it, you follow it. That's, if that's happening, you just get on out of there. There is this reality of you got to have people in your life that can tell you no. People say, well, I'm, I'm submitted to authority. Good. Who's in your life that can tell you no? You mean the N-word? Yeah, no. Who can say no? And you mean, and I listen and, and actually follow it? Yeah, who, who in your life can tell you no? Good way to know if you've got any submission to any authority is if you've got people in your life that can tell you no. If they can't tell you no, you don't have submission to authority. Because there's times when all of us need to be told no. Me, you, all of us. I love our leadership team because they don't mind telling me no. They tell me no all the time. 
I'll go, what about this side? This is a great idea. We're going to do this. No. They're the hardest ones for me to get, to, you know, to get people to say yes. I won't say who it is. But one of the guys on our team in the church that he used to be a part of, he was known as the no man. You've heard of the yes man? This guy's the no man. So when you're talking to him, you're in no man's land. It's like, try to get this across. But the truth of the matter is I love that and I need that. I need men and women in my life to tell me, hey, that, that's not right, that's, that's off. And they need to be able to tell me no, if I've got a dumb idea, just, hey, no, that's, that's, no, that's, that's not what we should do. And we all, we all need that. No one is above authority. You have to welcome authority in your life, and authority is it's really best peer-to-peer. It's not, it's not this top-down thing where, you know, this, you grow up and you rule it over. I mean, Jesus and, and, and Paul and Peter, they all talked about a, an authority that was serving and laying your life down for one another. And in leadership for the sheep, you lay your life down. And so there's a, there's a very much a horizontal authority. There's a submission to one another, as Paul described in Ephesians 5, that we're supposed to be operating in. And what that means is people can tell you no. If nobody can tell you no, that might be an issue for you, that your spirit is closed towards the authorities in your life and and closed unintentionally towards God. C, there's this improper independence. You rely upon yourself more than anybody else and almost never rely on anyone else. Mostly it's because you're afraid. You're afraid of somebody letting you down or you're afraid of not being in control. Listen, if you live your life with fear as a motivator, that's no way to live. We're not to live with fear as our motivator. We're to live compelled, constrained, and controlled by love. Perfect love casts out all fear. See, we think of anger as the opposite of love, I'll tell you differently. Fear is the opposite of love. The Bible pits those two against one another. Or hatred. It's not hatred or anger. It's it's fear. That's what love destroys. That's why confidence in love is the greatest gift. Because when you've got real rich love flowing in your heart between you and the Father, there's there's a real confidence that settles on you. Fear goes away. And fear is a motivator. You need to know the love of God. D, from this isolation and independence, there's this denial of pain. People like, they just like to act like they don't have anything wrong with them, like they deny the pain of their own heart. I'm not saying we should walk around down in the mouth all the time, but I'm saying that there, there is a lack of authenticity in Christianity because we know what a Christian's supposed to look like and we're afraid that we don't look like that. Am I making sense? And so it manifests like this. You go, hey, how are you? Blessed. Praise God. Glory to God. Praise God. Glory. Amen. Amen? Amen. So how are you? (laughs) Glory. It's like we have this whole Christianese, this whole veneer. Now, when somebody goes, hey, how you doing? They're not necessarily asking for the treatise of your last 72 hours. But there is that authentic thing where somebody goes, hey, y'all right? And you know that propensity in the heart to just try to act like it's okay when it's not okay. And, uh, you know, I've tried to just make it a practice that people ask me, how you doing? If they're, if they're really asking, they're just asking a real checkup kind of question, I just kind of go, yeah, I'm a little tired, man. I've been, you know, kind of going through it. Or if it's going good, I go, man, I'm so happy. Things are so good. I love God so much. You know, I, I just try to at least give the three-word three sentence of, it's tough, pray for me, or, you know, it's awesome, pray for me. Or, I mean, th- there's nothing wrong with being real. Guys, we've got to get real now, right? I, I just, we can't just live 
fake and it's all a production. And Christianity isn't a big production meeting. Christianity is a real relationship with a real man, with real people who are really weak, who really need grace. I don't care how awesome the preacher guy is, the, the guy that's on TV, the multi-million dollar whatever. He needs grace, man. That guy has got issues. He needs grace. And, and in the grace of God, perhaps he's really grown and he's, and he's you know, got authority over those challenging areas of, that everybody deals with. Hopefully that's what's happening in maturity in Christ. But man, there's nobody that's above needing Jesus and needing grace. Everybody goes through it. Everybody has challenges and difficulties. You're not lesser than if you're going through it. And you got to have some people in your life that you can just tell them, hey, I'm going through it. Some people, though, they, they're so isolated and they're in living in such denial, they won't ever tell the truth. Just don't tell the truth about what's going on with them. And when they, what happens is this. They, for years and years and years, it builds up. The mess builds up. The pressure builds up. And boom, things start popping or they start melting. And life just disintegrates around them because they haven't been real. I'm not mad at you if you're not real, but man, it's no way to live. Faking it behind your facade is no way to live. You weren't made to live that way. You were made to live authentically from the heart, alive in the love of God. You're made to to live as a person that needs grace and just being honest about it. That's normal. That's redemption. That's beauty. We don't have to hide anymore. We don't have to have a pose or a, a face that we put on around the church and then we're different around our family and then we're different around our job. Just be the same guy. Or girl. That's what he's calling us to be, is live from the heart alive in love. See, you can't get there unless you know the Father loves you and your heart's alive in love. So from there, denying pain, isolated, closed off, you control. Control all your relationships with anger or passivity or isolation. Some people, you know, it's like walking on eggshells. And they explode anything, anytime something doesn't go their way. They're controlling the relationship through anger. Some people, they're just passive. They just don't say anything. They never share anything. They, they never offer anything. They just, just kind of pull back. Same thing. They're controlling. It's just, in, it's just in an opposite way. Some people just alone. They just isolated themselves so they live alone. And then that way they can keep everything in control the way they like. From there, there's superficiality that permeates their lives with relationships, fear opening up. We don't want to be hurt. We don't want people to see us. Many people may know us, but nobody really knows us. Sometimes the most out there, like buoyant, happy, slappy person is the person that's most in control. Because they, everybody knows their exterior, but almost nobody knows what's really going on in there. Do you know what I'm talking about? And when I used to minister to teenagers, it was always that class clown kid. You know what I'm talking about? The kid that was always acting crazy in class, acting, making fun of the teacher, making fun of other kids, always in trouble, acting like he didn't have a care in the world. And then I would find this, I would, I would investigate, and I'd go, go beneath the surface about two levels, and I'd find out he had a broken home, had a, an alcoholic parent, had an abuse history. What was he doing with all that facade? He was pulling his, his, his relationships, keeping everything on the surface. Finally, just end up alone. Alone and isolated, even around friendly, friends and family. You end up living like a spiritual orphan without a home or a family. You live estranged from the love of the Father and without revelation or having an inheritance. Okay. Here's what I want to tell you. Look, I'm not pointing this out to accuse you, to condemn you. Everybody's got these tendencies at a certain level. My point in pointing this out is so you can identify 
And now so we can get into the richness of understanding what God's thoughts and his plans are for us and his desire is for us so we don't live this way. So we move out of an orphan mentality and we move into the love of God and knowing the love of God that really brings us into richness. And here's the thing. You know, Americans want, a lot of Americans, maybe not you guys, but... A lot of Americans want a message that's going to just tell them that everything's going to be okay. It's all going to get better. It's all going to be okay. American Christianity loves the message that it's harvest time or that it's springtime. We don't like summer or winter. We don't like it's hot, you're going to sweat, and you're going to sweat, <laughs> and it's going to be hot. Like, we don't like that. And we don't like everything's going to die, and it's going to be cold. And it's going to freeze because it's so dead. But here's what we, we always want. It's new growth or it's harvest. You can't do new growth and harvest. You can't do springtime and harvest only. If you listen to American pulpits, you'd think we are always in springtime or we are always in harvest. We aren't. Sometimes we're in summer. Sometimes it's a grind. Sometimes it's faithfulness because he's worthy and you don't feel it for months. And that's just how it is, guys. And sometimes it's winter and everything's dead and it's cold and the ground is hard and you just got to hang on until it starts getting warm again. Sometimes that's how it is. We're so, like, addicted to the messages that make us feel so good. You know what, though? That's not reality. It's like we're walking around with an epidural stuck in our back and we don't even know what reality is. It's like we're completely disassociated from what real life is. Nothing against epidurals. Use them. If I was, if I was, if I was a woman, I'd be using an epidural. All right. My point is we don't want to live our lives disassociated and disconnected. I want to taste it all. I want to taste the good and the bad, and in the bad, I want to know he loves me. And in the good, I want to know he loves me. And when it's hard, I want to know he loves me. And when it's smooth, I want to, I want to know he loves me. And I don't want to assume that when it's smooth and when it's rough, that he loves me more when it's smooth than he does when it's rough. That's not real. He loves you the same in every season. Seasons are normal. I want to know the love of God, and I want to experience this life. Don't you want to experience it? Sweet and bitter? I mean, nobody's signing up for the bitter line. Like if I did an altar call for more bitter experiences, nobody's asking for that. But, but I would think something was odd if all we ever got was cotton candy. Here's the deal. Romans 8. Understanding the spirit of adoption. See, when we live as an orphan, we're so protected, we're isolated, we, we don't engage with reality. Let's get to what reality is supposed to be. Verse 15, Romans 8. <clears throat> you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. If you've ever heard a teaching on this, you know that that word Abba it's not the, it's, it's the most uh, tender, intimate, uh, uh, casual word that, that they would use in a home. It's the daddy word. That's that word. Slaves couldn't use that word. They used a different word, pater, for the father of the house. Even people that were raised in the home that weren't born from that home, they could call the, the head man, they could call him pater, but they couldn't call him Abba. God says, call me Abba. Call me Abba. Here in my house. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit. The Spirit himself bears children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that's talking about the seasons that we go through. Talking about drinking down life, the sweet and the bitter, that we may also be glorified together. Do you see it? 
The suffering of the summer glorified together the harvest of the fall. It's, it's, I mean, he says, this is real life in God, experiencing all of it. Now look at this. Let's, let's just look at the notes here. I'm on the top of page three, letter A, under Roman numeral four. Sometimes we have a hard time translating adoption, spirit of adoption. Somehow we think that means something like a second-class citizen. We think it means like stepchild. God the adoptive father is not God the stepfather. You know, we've got like, and there are wonderful step parents in the world for sure. That's not, it's not a knock. But we've got a lot of like media stories and, you know, like Cinderella, like wicked step parents. And so in our mind, we can sort of put God in this sort of stepfather role. He's not an adoptive father, he's a stepfather. And, and you know, stepfathers, they don't choose their children, they choose their wives, and they just have to put up with the kids. Now, good stepfathers don't. They should just love those kids like their own. They should adopt them. They should. But God's not a stepfather. God chooses the kid. He chose you. What's amazing about being a father is this. I didn't get to choose my kids. My my natural children, God chose who they were going to be for me. But adoptive parents, they get to choose. Here's my point. There's something, I don't want to pit one against another, but there's something wonderful about being adopted. Because inherent in your adoption is the truth that you are chosen. God's not putting up with you like a stepfather. It's not one of those deals where God just has to love you because he's love and he just has. No, he chose you to love you. The Father chose you to love you. You're adopted. So the spirit of adoption is the Holy Spirit in our heart testifying to us, the child. This is what he testifies. You're the same as the natural child. That's what the spirit of adoption is saying to us. You're the same as the natural child. In fact, this passage goes on to explain this very point. You're just as much God's son as Jesus is God's son. You're just as much God's child, God's daughter, as Jesus is God's son. You're just as much of the father as Jesus is. Not in the begotten sense, but in the sonship sense. Am I making sense? You're not second class. Sometimes we think that God loves us like, you know, we love a puppy. I mean, we love him, but he's still our dog. He still sleeps in the cage. And God loves us and feeds us and puts us in his cage. You know what I mean? Like, no, no, he loves you like a son, like a daughter. You're his. You're his just as much as Jesus is his. You're his. You're not alone. You're not by yourself. He says you're joint heirs. This is, this is fascinating. This is incredible. This is shocking. This will offend you, probably. Because we, we think of ourselves so estranged. And then we come into the kingdom and we're so aware of our brokenness. But he says something crazy about us that's so wonderful. He says you're a joint heir. What does that mean? It means the Father gives you the same inheritance that he gives his firstborn. The adopted kid gets the same inheritance as the firstborn kid. Now, in Hebrew culture, the firstborn would get double inheritance, and then the rest would be spread throughout the siblings of the family. Firstborn inheritance means he gets double what everyone else gets. But what's fascinating is this. When you look at the scriptures, you find this, that Jesus actually shares with us his inheritance. We're joint heirs with Christ. Revelation 2 and Revelation 3 
tell us we will rule the nations with him. I like to emphasize that he's coming back to rule the nations and he's worthy of it. He's the only one worthy. But we, the Bible says, who overcome will sit on the throne with him and rule. That's a big throne with a lot of seats. It's like a multi-billion person stadium throne. The point is we share in his Leadership, we share with him in it. We rule with him. We receive the promise that the Father gave Jesus that he'll rule the nations. We receive that same promise. Hebrews 1 identifies the heir of all things. It's right there in your notes. It's underlined. He's the heir of all things. Revelation 21, verse 7 says, whoever overcomes will inherit all things. My point is this. You're so not second class that the Father not only says, call me by my name, Abba. He says, I'm going to give you the same inheritance that I give My son, you're so much a part of me and a part of my family, you get all things too. And man, that passage in Revelation 21 is so powerful because it says the father himself, the father himself will wipe away every tear from every eye. Now here's the thing. Imagine the way the father feels over his firstborn. Imagine how he feels about Jesus. Perfect Jesus. Fully abandoned to God, Jesus. Imagine the joy, the delight in the heart of the Father. Here's the huge truth. Whatever you imagine the Father feels about Jesus, the absolute truth is he feels the exact same for you. This is a truth we've got to meditate on so it can transform how we think and live. I'm going to prove it to you right here in the verses. Isaiah 42, he says, Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my elect one, and whom my soul delights, I've put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. I, the Lord, have called you, talking about the Son in righteousness. I will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you. As a covenant. He's talking about Jesus. And he says, he's my chosen one. He's the one I, I uphold. He's the one my soul delights in. You remember, during Jesus' life, the Father broke in and spoke audibly over Jesus. And he said, behold, my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Look at this. John 17. Jesus praying, a high priestly prayer at the end of his life. He says, I and them and you and me, that they may be perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. As you have loved me. Let them know, Father, that you love them as you love me. Just to illustrate this point, as Marlene's sitting here. If right now the father broke in audibly and said, Marlene, behold my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. And it thundered and we were all freaking out. And, you know, we were crying and shaking and, ah. When it all settled back down, we were like, what's Marlene got going on? God said audibly how awesome she is. Something special of her, wouldn't we? Well, the Father did that for Jesus, and he says, I love you the same way I love Jesus, and my point is this, and he broke in and thundered, Marlene! We should not think it's strange because he feels the exact same way about her and about you and you. He could say that over any of us right now. 
just never know. He could say it over any of us right now. And listen, it wouldn't make the truth of what I'm telling you any more true. He already loves you the same way he loves Jesus. He already loves you the same way he loves Jesus. Last thoughts. Worship team can come on. Page four. How do you overcome that orphan mentality? How do, can you, are we gonna do an altar call and just cast it out of everybody right now? No, we're not. Here's why. You can't cast out a mentality. You renew it. You renew it in your mind by truth. The orphan mentality is not something that you cast out. It's a belief system that develops over a lifetime. It becomes part of our character, part of the way we think and feel and act. The way that you get rid of it is it's got to be displaced by personal experiences and the love of God. Experiencing the truth of what he says in the word and in prayer and having it touch and penetrate your own heart. And this is where the rubber meets the road. Those places that we build up, we don't want God to get in on. As long as you hold that up, you'll carry that, that orphan mentality. But if you let the walls down, and you just hold like John 17 in front of you, and just say, tell me the truth of this, Father. Make it real to me. He is so ready to encounter you and meet you in that place. And here's the thing, not just once. He'll meet you over and over and over again until you believe it. For, for more than a decade, one of my main prayers to the Father has been, would you just tell me how much you love me till I believe it? Maybe that's a lack of faith or maybe it's just I'm weak, but you know what, it doesn't matter because he's infinite and he's love and he's infinitely patient and infinitely loving. So he doesn't mind telling me as much as I need it. He'll tell me forever and it doesn't wear him out because he is forever. Do you, do you see? So I say, I say, God, tell me again. I need to know your love again. Make it real again. And, and I, I've shared some stories, but there's a transition point in my life. I don't know when it happened, but I, I noticed somewhere at some time the thing just changed on the inside of me. It just wasn't the same. All of a sudden, I was believing it. I had a good father who loves me, cares for me, is looking out for me, and I can't lose with him. People can say bad stuff about me. I can have no money. Things can go really good or really bad. He likes me so much. You guys have no idea. He likes me so much. Remember one time? You guys can just hang over. I'm just preaching. I'm rambling. So just wait a minute. I'll tell you this one story. I, I, uh, I'm in this counseling meeting, and I'm doing a bad job. Which, you know, sometimes it's just not on you to counsel. And uh, I feel like it anyway. And I was trying to cheer somebody up. I was trying to, I tried to make a joke. They didn't laugh. It was just bad. It wasn't that I wasn't tender to what they were going through. It was just, I just didn't have much. I was just trying to be like, I'm listening and ha ha ha. It just didn't go well. I walked out there discouraged. I just, oh God, this is bad. I'm, please never let me ever counsel anybody ever again. And I sit down at my computer, and there's an email waiting for me. And it's sent 15 minutes earlier when I was in the counseling meeting. And it's from a sister in prayer, and you know, she's in prayer, and she says, I'm in prayer right now, and the Lord is on me hard. He wants me to tell you something. This is weird, I know, but he wants me to tell you he likes your joke. Even when no one else is laughing, he likes them. I was like, that's crazy. Because I thought I'd really just messed it up. 
God goes, you're not messing it up, dude. I like you. Can't lose with me. For you. Guys, if we could just get how much he likes us. It will change in you. It will shift in your heart. You live so, you can start playing now. It will live, you live so alive in that place, so confident in that place. That orphan mentality just gets displaced over time. It's over time. It's not about an altar call and getting a hand laid on your head or even a power encounter. One power encounter doesn't do it for you. I explained it this way to a guy this week. I said, in my marriage, I don't live, you know, with one nice day with my wife, our, our wedding day, and just only in the reality of that day. And I live by my vows that I made on that day, but we've had so many nice days ever since then. And every time I have a wonderful time with her, it just, oh, makes my heart come alive more, you know? And that's how it is with God. The more we engage with him, the more we experience his love, oh, our hearts continue to shift and change and come alive more and more. And more and more. It just takes time. Make it your hobby. Make it your hobby to get into these verses and allow the Lord to love on you. He wants to love on you and shift the way you think and feel. Amen, amen. All right, let's just stand.